So, Igor, today's a very exciting day. Oh, it is. Yes. Indeed. Today's the day we kick off our newest series together. Yeah, we, we put a really lovely bow on the Perma V series. Charles brought that to the group, and I personally got a lot out of it, so it was awesome. Yeah, thank you for that, Charles. Sure thing. We've been talking about flourishing positive psychology for years, but I don't think we've ever gone so deep in it. So that was cool to have as a recurring theme at a time where I think, at least for me personally, it was really helpful to to revisit that concept. So thank you for that, man. You're welcome. Now, Igor, it's your time to shine, to outshine me with your series. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> this You've been waiting this, this whole time. This might kill our friendship, though. The series <laughs> might... This might be the end of everything. I hope not. I hope one of the one of my real goals behind doing this particular series is that we are going to be talking about things that are, let's say, are debatable or controversial. And what I think everyone needs more in their life of is the ability to hold two disparate ideas in their head and see both the merits and the negative sides of those ideas and and not just have some sort of dogmatic adherence to a side. And we're going to be talking a lot about these concepts, but... So what's the series? The series is about a book that I read. Unsurprisingly, Charles brought the the Perma B book. And this is a book that I read a couple of years ago, and it's called The Nine Lies About Work. Nine Lies About Work. Nine Lies About Work. A free-thinking leader's guide to the real world. That's right. Yeah. And what that might imply is that the people who believe these lies are not free thinkers. Or leaders. Or leaders. And You're off on the wrong foot with me <laughs> to start with. By the way. I was going to say, so l- let's level set here. Igor, you've read the book. Right? Yes, I love it. I have not read it. And we talked about me deliberately not reading it so that I can provide the personal hot streets take, take yeah. on things. The, hot, yes. the hottest takes. Yeah, Robert, have you read the book now? So I will be one chapter ahead. So I can't, I've read the introduction mm-hmm. and right before I'll be like fresh on Got it. Read, just having read the chapter. So I think what we're going to do is I- Igor will always take the position of the book, whether he believes it or not. I will take my, my I guess, semi-informed opinion because I like I'll come into the conversation having some premeditated thoughts and feelings and notes about what we're talking about. And then Charles, you are just here to react given your experience as a leader. So I think we'll get a good range of thoughts and opinions on this, but we all work for the same company. We have a a lot of the same values. We do approach work differently, which we've talked about before, but I, I think this will help allow us to be a little bit more diverse in our thoughts and opinions here. And I like that. I'm excited about this setup, the way that we've got it set up. And Igor, I don't know if you know it, but you were quoting F. Scott Fitzgerald. The test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. I didn't, heard I didn't before? No, I'm sure I have heard it, and I'm sure I'm plagiarizing it. But I, You were in debate, right? You got that from your debate days. I Yeah, I was in debate. We covered a lot of philosophy. And also, have you all ever taken the MBTI? You know what I'm talking about when I say that? The Myers-Briggs type indicator? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And mine is ENTP. They assign you four letters. 
basically. And there's 16 types. And if you go to 16personalities.com, you can look up all the types. And ENTP, and I've taken this test now probably three or four times, and I've always come up with the same result. And that personality type is called the debater. And on the site, they have a funny description of the debater personality type, and I'll just sort of read it here. An odd juxtaposition arises with debaters as they are uncompromisingly honest, but will argue tirelessly for something they don't actually believe in. <laughs> like it's, That's totally... It's a perfect description. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's a perfect yeah. description because I, I will, right? Like you, you give me a side and I'll be like, okay. And it's especially prevalent when everybody believes the other side. If I'm surrounded by people and they all just completely and dogmatically believe in the same thing, I just, there's this urge inside of me to take a contrarian viewpoint. So th- that's why this is going to be so pretty we're one letter trial. off. I'm ENTJ, which is commander. That's right. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. Yeah. The, the J in your personality type usually unlocks the ability to be like a CEO and actually get things done. And the ENTP is usually more of like a visionary. Like they just, that J, lack of J prevents them from marshalling the troops yeah. that they can inspire. There you go. Charles, do you know what you are yeah. off the top of your head? INTJ. So same as yours, oh, except flip the... Albert e. Einstein mm-hmm. was an INTJ. Oh, really? Logistician. Yes. That makes sense. I like to think, I don't know. For it's better to be alone than in bad company. <laughs> High accomplishment. Pre- present company excluded. I don't feel very introverted around y'all, but yeah, I, it's... Anyway. There we go. Okay, so nine lines about work. My reaction to going through the intro, I'm a little bit skeptical. Yeah. Especially when you start to say, if you don't agree with me, you're not a free thinking person <laughs> or a leader. You or don't have, have some to kind take, of delusions about the real world. You don't particularly have to take it that harsh. That's a reaction of anything else. Is That's a very uncompromising reaction. So wh- why don't you give a, a little bit of an overview of the nine lies, how the book is structured... I will say this is either going to be a life-changing book that <laughs> informs the way I lead others or a dull waste of time equivalent to a clickbait article. Yeah. So it's going to be one of those two. I don't think it's going to sit in the middle anywhere. Mm, that's fair. That's fair. So the book is written by two gentlemen, and a lot of their experience and what they write about comes from their time working as like pollsters, I think working with Gallup especially around like the company engagement surveys. And so a lot of the the data and a lot of the these, let's say, contrarian positions or these nine lies that they present are really in light of their experience as employee engagement consultants. So that's where it's coming from. So why don't you hit us up with the nine lies? The, ni- the nine lies. And I do want to warn folks that the nine lies are a little clickbaity and they're written very specifically. So like the words that they use in the lie matter, matter a lot. And so here we go. Lie number one, Charles and Robert, maybe can react to each lie. I'm grossed out or whatever it is. Lie number one, people care which company they work for. That would imply people don't care which company they work for. I'm more interested in the people that I work with and the kinds of things we're doing than the company specifically. So I could see that. I, I have, Charles is smirking. I have no reaction. <laughs> no reaction. <laughs> My, How zen of you. Other than I just want to dig in, right? Because I know that this is clickbaity and 
you've caveated it to where the words matter. So it's okay. I want to know what, what underlies this lie and how they're going to try to spin it on its head. Because that's what they're going to do. They're going to dispel the myth with some deeper truth. And so I don't know. Yeah. Reserving judgment. Reserving judgment. Reserving yeah. judgment. Yeah. Do my best. Instead of clickbait, we'll use provocative to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 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 I'm okay with that. Certainly as captures the, attention. Juice to back it up. Yeah. 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 If somebody tells yeah. you like people don't care what company they work for, that seems like a pretty contrarian sort of statement. It doesn't seem like a lie. Um, seems contrarian though. Agreed. All right. What's the next one? Lie number, number two, two, the best plan wins. I completely agree. That's a lie. Yeah. Same here. 100%. Yeah. All right. Line number three, the best companies cascade goals. Reserving judgment on that one. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. And, and in this case, that means Zen the Mike chief Charles. executive comes up with the big objective for a year, and then that objective gets sliced and diced to the executive team, and then that gets sliced to the VPs and the directors and the middle managers and the employees and so on. So that's- We just talked about essential intent, so I'm sure there's some kind of argument in here about vision, ambiguity, concreteness. When you say cascade goals, they probably have some kind of inspirational thing missing that they're saying needs to be plugged back in. Yeah. But I don't know. Okay. Okay, right. go ahead. Line number four, um, and, and this has two kind of words in it that are interesting, is the line number four is the best people are well-rounded. I think that's just a silly thing to say about best and always. And I just, we'll see on that one. That seems like a very naive statement. I agree. I think you need both generalists and specialists in the world. And I equate generalist most closely with well-rounded. And so we need the Einsteins and the Ben Franklins. And across what dimensions? Like, what does well-rounded mean? Yeah. What does the best mean? Line number five, people need feedback. This one, I'm just going to lose it over. (laughs) That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They're saying people don't need feedback. Yeah. And I think that's just stupid. People need feedback. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Oh. Like that, that one thing right there would make me not read the book if we weren't doing this as, a, as an exercise. Like one-star review yeah. without reading it kind of thing. That's just really dumb. All right. So we're, we're more than halfway through. Uh, line number six, people can reliably rate other people. So think performance reviews and performance feedback, those sort of things. I believe that is a lie. I think it's very hard to rate other people. I'm on the fence on that one. I do agree that humans have biases and it's hard to reliably and consistently rate other people. We deal with this every three months at our firm. We do semi-annual reviews. And so somebody's getting reviewed every three months. And man, it is really hard to go into have a discussion about one person at one level, another person at the exact same level, and try to suss out like what needs to be worked on. And if one person's a better technologist, but the other one's a better relationship builder, how does that work out? They're on different clients doing different things. Like that's, it's a hard thing to do, but I don't know that, I don't know that the conclusion should be don't rate people. So if they're talking about removing bias from a system or creating some kind of consistent framework to assess people or increase feedback loops, like I I could very much get on board with that. But if they're going to go in a direction of people don't need to be Don't give anyone feedback and then don't rate them at all. That's going to be tough. I know you haven't read those chapters, but that is what they're saying. Like part of the argument for those for line number five and line number six is around, you know, people don't need feedback. They need something else. And uh, line number six really challenges the idea of like performance reviews. That's not a that's not a new thing that that's been around before. I remember reading about people getting rid of performance reviews, but that. Yeah. Yeah. 
what do you replace it with? Maybe we'll talk about that. Certainly not feedback. <laughs> definitely not. So Definitely not feedback. We're just winging it. Man, I, I want to go work at this company because I'll be able to get away with whatever I want if I'm not getting <laughs> performance reviews or feedback. Um, Man, just gracious. wait for line number okay. eight, Robert. You, you're yeah, not going to uh, want to go work I'm, there. I, I purposely have not read into this. I've just read the intro. Yeah, so. I've just looked at the list of lies. You so have I've it up seen, on yeah, your screen? Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's line see. Line number seven. People have potential. They're saying people don't have potential? They're not saying that. They're saying that people having potential is a lie. I think you've hit on an important point. Like you can't just take the opposite. That's, that's it's right. It's like a binary thing. Yeah, you They're shouldn't take the inverse. The conventional wisdom that people have potential is a yes. lie. That's yeah, they're, they're not saying. saying people don't have uh, potential. They're just saying that people having potential is a lie. We'll see on that one. All right. I need a good argument. Like I, if, if we're wordsmithing, then... Line number eight. We'll have to see. Work-life balance matters most. Okay. <laughs> we're coming off of perma V and <laughs> I, I don't see how that can be whoever a these dudes consult as far as employee engagement. Robert wants a list so he can avoid those companies. <laughs> no, so I can I don't see how that's true. Okay, go ahead. And then lie number nine, final lie. Leadership is a thing. Oh, so they want to put you out of business now too? Put you out of a job. So you don't need feedback. You don't need performance reviews. You don't need leader. Are they saying leadership behaviors? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, so I think that one does deserve some clarification. So when they dive into it, they really talk about that leadership behaviors or leadership traits are BS. And to tell somebody that to be a leader, you need to be more assertive or to be a leader, you need to be more extroverted or to be a leader, you need to be more humble or whatever adjective you want to use. All those things are BS. None of those like leadership traits make a leader. I'm going to disagree with that on the surface. I think that any strength applied in the wrong situation is a weakness. So I'm hyper assertive, but there's been times where I've wielded that sword in, in the complete wrong situation and it's gone poorly. And I got feedback around that, which helped me adjust. But I look at any sports team has a captain, has a coach, like any great thing that's been done in history, it's been because of a great team and great leadership on that team to avoid inoculate against dysfunction. So I don't see how you can go and throw out all of the greatness that's happened in history due to really well-known good leaders and the teams that they're able to mobilize. So we'll see. I'm, I'm disagreeing violently on the surface, but I am open-minded to discuss they're, they're not asserting that leaders don't exist or leadership doesn't exist. It's just they're, not an innate trait. It's a skill? It's just not an innate trait or, or yeah. a learned trait. It's a learned trait. Leadership is a, is a sequence of behaviors that are learnable and improvable. Yeah, that's feedback. what I would call skill. I, as I reflect on these... It, even though I said, hey, I'm going to reserve judgment, I totally didn't. Like I judged every single one of these. I just didn't yeah. say anything. Mm -hmm. And that, that in and of itself is very fascinating because it just points to how quick we are to jump to conclusions with having no facts whatsoever. <laughs> and yep. Even when people call you not a free thinker or a leader and make these specific assertions, I, I think you can yeah. help it. Like this book is meant to be reacted yeah, to. Like they, they want to get a rise out of you for whatever reason. I I don't know if I how effective that tactic is because I, I think I would like to think that I'd be more open and receptive to just a straightforward logical argument as opposed to a slap in the face and then a, a scolding because I'm believing these lies. But 
I just do think it's interesting. Like I reacted and judged the work-life balance thing because we just got finished talking about Perma V, which is an important part of my life and learning. And Robert, you reacted very strongly to the people need feedback and people can reliably rate other people, even though these are provocative titles and they're going to turn around and, and explain some nuance that is probably more true and agreed upon by you than not. And yet we still have these very strong reactions. And that's, that's just really interesting. And that happens yeah, all man, the time. If you say people need feedback as a lie, and then you do some kind of magic with the English language to somehow call it something different and it's still feedback, like I'm going to be really disappointed. There should be a feedback is flawed, go this other direction. And if that's the case, then let's yeah, talk yeah. about it. I, I think yeah. they're wrong, like at least on three of these, but we'll see. I, I have a fear here. So I think they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. They say in the intro, you know, there's a statistic, right? Only 20% of workers are fully engaged. And even if they're half wrong, like that, there's a systemic issue here that we're not getting the best in aggregate from our people. They're pointing their brain power at the right hmm. problem. Then they go on and they say, hey, organizations, like they've been doing these things wrong. We've come to the end of traditional management. It's been fully implemented. We can no longer get gains from that. And here's all these examples that and, and data and information we have that show how people are doing it wrong. And so what I think might be more effective is they've seen some bad practice, some anti-patterns suggesting how to correct those might be more effective than saying, let's just do away with these things and reinvent this landscape of leadership or work that now we have to go and, and reconstruct all the nuance around it. So I'm, I'm wondering if that's the case here. And, and I'm interested in digging into the nine lies. But I do think they're pointing out a very real problem. These two authors, Marcus Buckingham, Ashley Goodall, they have deep experience. So one fear I have is you see this all the time on when you see YouTube videos or articles about like interviewing for a job. It's not only have you not been in the position as the author to have interviewed someone before, you've barely interviewed yourself. Like how are you going to give people advice in good faith? Marcus and Ashley have decades of leadership experience, Deloitte, Cisco, ADP Research Institute, senior vice president type titles. They've played in these big time leadership roles at large organizations in the past, and they've looked at the data. What we have are anecdotes and experiences. We don't have data to back that up. And so I do think that they have some things going for them for this book. My expectations are high, though, because of their titles, because of their experience, because of their data background, they would be really disappointed if this was just a dull sort of rehash of conventional wisdom or some kind of wordplay games to get you to read the chapter, but there's really nothing new in there. So we'll see, but I am cautiously optimistic about some of the arguments they're going to make because of the experience and data and preparation that was put into this book. You, Robert, what you just did, I bet the vast majority of people don't do when they approach reading a book or reading an article or watching a documentary is to assess the credibility of the source. That could be the source material that provided the data that they're using in this book or the people, the authors, their experiences. Because what you did is just said, hey, even though I've reacted strongly negatively towards some of these things at the surface level, I'm going to try to suspend that for now because 
I believe that these people are highly credible and they have maybe something very valuable to say that I can learn from. And that's why even though we have these reactions, we have to suspend them and put them aside so we can try to learn. That's the only way we can learn. And I think that's a really valuable skill. Something that I've been teaching internally is that people need to understand why are they reading something? Like, why are you reading it? And before you read it, you should assess the credibility. And Robert, you just laid that out really nicely while we're doing this. And, you know, going back to the F. Scott Fitzgerald quote, we, we can hold two opposing ideas in our mind, even if we vehemently disagree with one and with our whole being agree with the other and still function. But it takes work. It takes effort. And this is the work that we're doing in real time. So it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. And, and going back to playing golf, when I went to a golf coach, I had a horrible posture, horrible swing. You correct three or four things. It feels really awkward at first, but you hit the ball better. You hit the ball more consistently. Your score goes down. And then over time, it feels natural. And then you go and you just keep repeating that process until you have it honed. And I'm totally open to adjusting my style. Like we we are in a position in life, in the economy, in the world, in our professional lives where things moving forward over the next two decades are not all going to look like they looked in the last two Stuff that worked in the past won't work in the future. So I'm open-minded to talk about it. I still, my hypothesis going in though, is that this book cherry picks or finds trends of horrible management practices, horrible management behaviors, packages them up and offers alternatives to that bad thing. And maybe a better approach would be to call out those anti-patterns or bad practice in these areas, outline how it's supposed to work and make recommendations there. But the problem is that's already been done. Our Heroes at Manager Tools do that much better than anyone. Peter Drucker, all of the best business thinkers in the past, that's a well-trodden path. So they really can't, they really can't do that. So I'm interested to see those nuanced arguments get into the discussion based on our experiences, what we've seen work and not work. I still get a little lost though in the free thinking leader. So they just say a free thinking leader is someone who embraces a world which the weird uniqueness of each individual is seen not as a flaw to be ground down, but a mess worth engaging with. And I think that's a key phrase to take out of this book, Robert. And when I read that intro, it reminded me of another book that I read. It's an old book by this guy, Doug McGregor. It's called The Human Side of Enterprise. And The Human Side of Enterprise was written like in the 1960s, and it was the first rebuttal of like Taylorist management practices. For some period of time, Taylor and then later Henry Ford created these like management structures and work structures. The pre-knowledge worker. Pre-knowledge worker. on a factory line, widgets per hour, that kind of thing. That's right. And so when McGregor wrote Human Side of Enterprise, he talked about theory X versus theory Y. And the Taylorist theory is really theory X And Theory X assumes that people dislike work and they'll avoid it if they can and they require coercion and control to get anything out of them. It sounds familiar. And Theory Y assumes that people are motivated to work under the right conditions. They seek responsibility. They're imaginative. They're creative problem solvers. And people like work. And that work is just as much a part of the human experience as rest and play. And 
oppressive organizations and crappy leaders have ground people down from behaving like Y to feeling like X. And so that theme really seems to continue in this book. And there's something else that you mentioned, Robert. It was like, hey, they're packaging extreme behaviors. They're surfacing them here as lies. And then they're countering them with better ways to do it. I don't think that's how this book is written. To me, what they took was, quote, best practices. What's most common in most companies? And they refute those things. Most companies believe in the plan. And they, and they talk about it in the book. They say, hey, when you first take on a role, the most likely thing that your boss is going to ask you for is your plan. What's your plan for your new role? What's your plan for your team? What's your plan for your first 90 days? And the book and the evidence that they present refutes that. They say, don't do that. Don't ask for the plan. And they don't say planning is useless. But they are saying that the best plan doesn't let you win, but that most companies act like it does. And we may have a problem with essentialism here, right? So the authors say extreme conformity is counterproductive. That's in this. That's an intro. That's what you're getting into. I agree. I agree with that. The solution that trying to craft one around the professional fashion preferences of our organization and all the individuals is like, is that the solution? I'm skeptical that like this may be a pendulum overcorrection as a way to reject or refute, again, throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. What, what, they're, what they're implying is that companies want predictability and they want fungible resources. I can pluck out Robert and I can substitute Charles and it all still works. And it's predictable. I'm not going to have to do a lot of work to un- undo that. But that's not a new idea, man. Are you saying that? They're saying it's really bad for the company to, to try to seek that level of predictability, right. that level of conformity, and that level of fungibility yeah. of people. But, I, I, but that's old news. That's old hat. What I don't like is that they do take such extreme positions on these things. And within a company, yes, you need some fungible resources. And in some cases, in certain roles, depending upon the job, you can do that and you need that and it's good, quote unquote good for the company. But nobody would agree that you need a fungible CEO or a board of directors. I, I don't know. It's, it's not that black and white, right? There's all these shades of gray and it's hard to make. I rarely say such broad sweeping claims as these, like companies are trying to ground down people to conform. Like, no. Not every company is trying to go towards extreme conformity. And so it makes me wonder, it's like, why are they taking such extreme views? Is it because the vast majority of companies are really mediocre and they're trying to shock the you know, 0.1% of leaders who read the book into being a little bit better? Okay, you know, maybe that's plausible. It's a very interesting tactic that I wouldn't have never come to, came up with, but maybe that's a sign of the times, you know, where yeah. <laughs> because of our attention is so consumed by 24-7 news cycles and social media and increasingly shocking things, that's what they need to get our attention? You need to I, click I don't know. Yeah. You- hey, look, you've got my attention. You better deliver. You've crumpled up nine <laughs> pieces of paper. You've put them on the cover. You hand draw free thinking above leader's guide to the real world. Like the cover alone is, Mm. it's in your face. 
and then the lies yeah. are provocative. Like you've got my attention now. There's three or four that I reacted to where I'm like, I just completely disagree with that. Good luck. I don't know. Like they, they better deliver, man, or we're going to be one star reviewing this thing. <laughs> <laughs> when we did the Perma V series, I shared, hey, this book I read and it was very impactful for me. Igor, I think you said something to that effect. Like you read this book and it was maybe not, but I'm curious, like how has this been impactful to you? Why do you think it's important that we unpack all of this controversy <laughs> that we're uncovering here? Because I, I just want to hear about what you learned and yeah. why you liked it and why you think it's important to share, even though this is going to be painful for Robert. And, and, As know, Robert I, smiles. I didn't answer this, but I'll <laughs> yes. answer the question anyway. The lie that caused me the most discomfort and tension when I first read it was same as Robert. People need feedback. And I think part of that may be that Robert and I have been so indoctrinated by Mark and Mike and the feedback model that hearing, hearing the phrase, turning that around, we turn that around naturally. People don't need feedback. It sounds preposterous because it's not true for me. Or any other peak performer. Right? Like if somebody said, Igor doesn't need feedback, that makes me really uncomfortable personally okay. because I do yep. need feedback. I know that these are extreme, but there are times when you don't need feedback, whether you're not open to receiving it because it's a bad time, you got something going on. There are times though when you don't mm. need feedback. That's true for me at least. I've always sought out feedback, but... Well then, do, do you still need it though? You just don't want it right now. And maybe scenario. that's the nuance here, right? It's like, don't assume that you should just blindly give feedback. Oh I, my gosh, if that, I, I hope not. Igor's smirking over there. <laughs> As they wrote The Nine Lies, they felt that they had to provide nine corresponding truths. And I don't want to, I don't want to expose. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. We're going to, we're going to talk about each truth as we talk about each lie. But yeah, the truths help illuminate. If you skip in the table of contents of the book and read the truths, you, it, it eases the clickbait feeling a bit, right? Because you, okay. you start to better Did understand their counterpoint because their counterpoint isn't people don't need feedback. It's a little bit more nuanced. Most of the time, it's we're not going to talk about more. not today. Okay, fine. No, okay. We'll, we'll handle them one at a time. You got to react but, fresh, man. We've already gotten into spoilers <laughs> territory. Riddle me this, then, okay. Igor. So the the counterpoints yeah. that they offer, did you agree with all of them, or did you disagree with any of them? Um, it's a little bit. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Which which I'm glad. Do we to do hear. one spoiler, Robert, or do we not? No. Don't do it. No, no, but I will say, though, you've just set this thing up. You're so anchored to what's provocative. And then you're going to go try to put a nuance. Like, I I really hope that they they did that well. They say there's a quote, the technological advances and management strategies that work to propel productivity in the past have been fully implemented and are no longer contributing to productivity. In other words, whatever our current practices may be, they are no longer giving us much lift. That's a heck of a statement to be making right now. And my hypothesis, again, is we just do this stuff poorly. Like, we can't treat knowledge workers like factory workers on an assembly line, obviously. We've known that. There is a human side to leadership, obviously. We've known that. I think, though, that the issue here is dysfunction, lack of trust, and doing management and leadership poorly because it's hard. Not, we need a whole new system and landscape to replace 
the hard work that's been done in the past. So that that's Man, what I'm, I'm still hung up on. Go like sometimes they go for the throat because like line number two, which is the best plan always wins. They very directly go after Peter Drucker. They say, hey, Peter Drucker wrote about management by objectives, MBOs. For a long time, that was super standard as a way to run the company. MBOs are all about goal setting and plans and so on. And they're like, no. Is, I don't see, I don't know. I don't know enough about Peter Drucker to know, have they constructed a straw man argument of what Peter Drucker is saying? And, and if we went back to, this goes back to the source. If we were to read true Peter Drucker, like who does that these days? I don't. I, I haven't. Oh, I do. Would we find? <laughs> well, yeah, but that's my point. It's, are, are they just mischaracterizing Peter Drucker? And, and maybe the vast majority of people are too, and they're trying to bring that to light. I'm open to this because I think they're, if you think about science, let, let's get out of leadership, which is, I don't know, some people would say it's a science, other people would not. But if we just get into science, there has to be researchers who are purely looking to advance general knowledge in the space, like to innovate in that regard. And oftentimes, those people, by design, will take contrary positions. And, and if they find something, they have to be provocative in order to get attention, in order to shift the thinking of the conformists of the current body of knowledge. And I think the more we talk about it, I'm kudos to them. If that's what they're trying to do, and that's why they're taking this literary tactic to try to capture attention because they truly believe that they have something that is fundamentally different. That can, and I agree with you, Robert. Like, you know, there's a lot of great stuff out there that we don't implement or we implement poorly, and we need help. <laughs> and I'm open to hearing what they have to say. And I'm also open, I'm also open to being disappointed too. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. The- the fact that they went after Drucker, the father of modern management, okay, now you've just, not only are you being so provocative like we've talked about, you've taken a swing at, at the king, right? Okay, good luck. And I'm, I'm not sure that business or organization or humans have evolved orders of magnitude since the 60s, 1960s, such that everything that he's done is you know, no longer I'm, I'm going to counter that with a quote from the beginning of the book. And it's Please a quote do. from Mark Twain. Do it. And I'm going to read it in Mark Twain's voice. It ain't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Good thing I'm proactively and preemptively siding with the demonstrated long-term success of running exceptional organizations by the management practices espoused by, created by, socialized by Peter Drucker. So he's got time and success and you know, increase of, of wealth across the world as wind in his sails for this argument. So like, good luck if you're trying to undermine that. Yeah. Robert, I I don't know if you intend to be this way. You clearly sound like you're in the camp of Peter Drucker. Are, Are you going into this assuming that these people are wrong and misinterpreting Peter Drucker? Or do you think there's a chance that they can point out a flaw or point out some sort of innovation that could build on top of what Peter Drucker has? Like, what's your... I'm kind of reacting to these things individually. And I did say earlier, I still believe they're pointed at the right problem. For whatever reason, only 20% of workers today are fully engaged. So obviously, those that came before us have not solved that problem. To come in so hot and heavy, though, I'm skeptical. And then the more clickbaity and provocative these statements 
or position get, hey, you're not a free thinker. These are lies. There's there's no mm-hmm. dichotomy or balance yeah. in the language. Like that, those are ticks against that put them behind up front, basically how they're presenting yeah. it. We'll get into each one. I have a feeling I'll be pretty 50-50 with it. Like I think the feedback one's really going to be silly, but the other ones I'm fairly open to. And one question I'll have that I want the book to answer, maybe this will help. If I have someone on my team who's late to every single meeting that they have a, a key role to play in, how do I, according to these authors, according to this book, how do I address that? And if I go talk to them about it, which apparently they don't need, what if they just say, hey, I am who I am. I'm late to everything. That's how I stay creative. That's how I stay on the top of my game. So that's just me. Like, how, do, how is that supposed to work? I'm really skeptical along like, at some point, this has to be implemented and practical. We can talk about, we can complain about, we can pontificate about why things go poorly in organizations and what might be a way to fix a specific situation. But like this, these things have to work at scale for them to be worth our time to go and implement. And so that's where I'm like, the more you sort sort of go at the throat of these established, well-documented, well-trodden paths, because some people implemented them poorly at one point in time. That's where my skepticism comes in. And I'm going to tell you that I think they're not going to tell you to not to go talk to them about it, but they are going to tell you to not give them feedback. Which lie is that? That's way, we'll, we'll be deep into the series by then. <laughs> we'll be deep into it, man. Number five. I, I don't like know seven, if Robert's going to make it through the five, series. Okay. Yeah. I may not. <laughs> so Igor, mm-hmm. you've read the book. You're always taking the position of the book. Yeah, whether whether I agree with it or not, and I'm going to do my best to present uh, the case and the evidence as laid out by Ashley and Marcus for the audience and for our group. Cool. Just love to know at the end, though, right before we wrap on each one. Hey, did you dis- do you agree or sure. or disagree with the position you've taken and why? So we'll give you a little bit of free time at the yeah, end there. I've been thinking about this, Robert, because you said this a couple of times. You think they are pointing at the right problem of engagement, right? They're pointing at a very real and great problem that yeah. needs solving. But yeah, I, I do. I do think that's true. Maybe that's a topic for another day, because I think the way that we think about employee engagement, and these people might be behind how we think about employee engagement, because we do employee engagement surveys annually, and we have tools that allow us to gather feedback on a continual basis from all of our folks about engagement. And yet, all three of us know that a lot of those surveys and answers and even qualitative feedback that is received doesn't really seem to match reality. And if you really sit down and talk to somebody one-on-one, they're having a hard time, and yet it doesn't reflect in the survey metrics, for example. And I don't know if engagement is the right... Of all the problems out there within the world of business and leadership, I'm not sure I would agree that this is the... And I'm not saying that you said this, right? Because you clearly didn't. But I wonder if there's a more important problem to go try to solve than employee engagement, because I think we do a crap job of defining engagement. And I don't know, what do you all think about that? Do you think employee engagement is a good proxy for what? Productivity? Right? Like that, I think that's part of the problem is defined through the lens of business and outputs as opposed to something else, which is more human. I, I don't know, just spitballing stuff now. Tim- I'm not saying we shouldn't do the series. We should still do the series. You just made me think, Robert, because you brought it up a couple of times. 
like the, the problem of employee engagement, that might be a red herring of some sort. They might also be attracted to it because, and this is one of the factors that they talk about in the book, as far as positive outcomes, is lower voluntary termination. I'm looking at the appendix for this citing too. It right. was the ADPRI's Global Study of Engagement, and they did this in 2018. And the, the specific, I think, thing, outcome they're trying to achieve from assessing their definition of engagement was identifying the conditions at work that are most likely to attract and keep talented employees. So it's like a, a retention and hiring on the term, I think, engagement. Igor, is that, does that match your understanding? Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's helpful. That's good for me, not not having read the book, right, to know that these are meant to improve, you know, attracting and retaining high quality talent, which I think is a universal need across all human organizations. So I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're saying, too, that whatever metrics they've defined in, in that realm have been steadily decreasing mm-hmm. year over year. Mm-hmm. Got it. OK. They use like an eight or 12 question protocol to gauge employee engagement. So that's a part of that tool. And they do talk about it in, in the book, the, like the specific questions for that protocol. Multi-country. Yeah, that kind of thing. So, so next week, we're going to tell people why nobody actually cares what company they work for. Yeah. And I think you'll find that as much as we like to think we're open-minded, we're just really not. <laughs> <laughs> we're the most closed-minded people we know, maybe. We'll see. Well, hey, this book got great reviews. It's like 4.6 stars on Amazon. I was just I looking at trust it. reviews these days on the mm. topic. Oh, whatever. They're all verified You can pay people man. for that stuff. They're not robots. Gosh. You hit a nerve somehow. You didn't even realize we it. Should, but we should pay some We should pay some people yeah, to we could. review our we podcast. Maybe pay people yeah. to solicit some okay. questions. Send them our way. Yeah. Oh, well, last thing. Good. Okay. I'm oh, going to go brush up on this concept of beginner's mind. Zen mind, beginner's mind. I don't know if y'all have heard that before, but it's this idea of there's a, it's a practice of suspending judgment. And we started the conversation talking about that. We've structured the series in a way where we can get different reactions from different levels of understanding of the material. And uh, whether you've read it or not, and you're trying to take the book's position, or you're just being introduced to it like Robert, or you're ignorant like I am, we all have to work really hard to suspend judgment and just listen for the facts and the argument. If there's any hope for us to have our minds changed or to learn something, otherwise, it's just pointless. We should just not do this. And, and that. Yeah, but when people said, hey, Charles, the earth is flat, like when you saw that YouTube video pop up, you weren't like, oh, let me see their nuanced discussion about why they think the earth's flat. Like when you say people don't need feedback, like that's yeah, flat earth yeah. level for me, professionally speaking. So I'm, I don't yeah, know, I can't, I don't know that I fair. can for that one. Like I agree on the, the, the best plan wins is a lie. Some of these I can get my head around. You joke though about us being closed minded. It's like this whole society is a bunch of closed minded groups of smaller and smaller people. And this is a skill that we're practicing here. And it is hard to suspend judgment and to listen yeah. and understand before jumping to conclusions and reacting and getting get a, getting charged up. Like, I feel charged up and emotionally energized in a not super yeah. healthy way. It's not a bad way, but it's just, this is exactly what happens. You know, people see stuff. We're triggered, professionally triggered, though. Is that I was better? really I hoping know. I could get 
at least Charles to the point of being belligerently opposed to all of these <laughs> and just be com- and be completely closed off to like any point of view other than the one that he's bringing in, in opposition. <laughs> hey, it's a long series. You might be able to. I will yeah. do my best, Igor. <laughs> I um, will we'll call that success. Hey, one other thing I want to make sure that we're demonstrating and practicing here is the ability to engage in healthy conflict in radical candor. We care deeply about each other. That's obvious. I want to get to the point in this series where we're regularly challenging directly. And what does a healthy, animated, passionate conflict amongst colleagues. Igor, I'm excited. I don't, I don't care what Charles it's okay. says. Uh, or, or, or I don't care what Robert says. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. All right, y'all. Let's do it. Stoked. Pumped. Igor, thanks for kicking it off, man. Boom. Looking forward yeah, to it. See you later. Yeah. Have a good week. Bye. That's it for today. Thanks for joining. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WannaGrabCoffee or drop us a line at hello at WannaGrabCoffee.com.